when Larry and I sat down to plan out this portion of our series through Exodus, he asked me if there were any, any commandments I wanted to preach on. And I told him this one, the one we're going to be looking at today, the fourth commandment, which is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now you may be wondering, why? Of all the commandments, why would he choose this one first? And this is a good question. In fact, this is a question I've been wrestling with this week. Like, why did I volunteer to preach on the fourth commandment? I could have jumped for something a bit more straightforward, like you shouldn't have idols or do not murder, but instead I chose this one. So why did I choose the fourth commandment? Well, I didn't go into it blind. I knew it would be a challenge, and I like to be challenged. But the ironic thing is, in my love to be challenged, of taking on a challenge, I'm not very good at what this command talks about. I like the idea of this command, but it's far too easy to resent this command. Um, I want to humorously demonstrate that by uh, looking at Chick-fil-A. Now, many of us applaud Chick-fil-A for their commitment to being closed on Sundays. They're open six days a week. This is commendable until it affects you. (laughs) I recently came across a song by a comedian, a guy named Tim Hawkins. He sings these lyrics to the tune of Yesterday by the Beatles. This is what he says. He says, Chick-fil-A, I could eat there seven times a day, where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. Suddenly, I need waffle fries in front of me, with some nuggets and a large sweet tea. Oh, Chick-fil-A, you set me free. Kids, get in the van so we can go there today. But their stores are closed, oh, I know, cause it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A. What a dirty, rotten trick to play. Now I'll have to settle for Subway. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. My relationship with Chick-fil-A and probably some of your relationship with Chick-fil-A is a lot like how we view the Fourth Commandment. It sounds great, but then when we start to think about how it may apply to our lives, it ends up being just kind of annoying. I think we have a common problem this morning, one that this command addresses. If you're anything like me, your life is full. You're busy. Your time is important to you because you can be more aware of all that's still left to be done. God has a remedy for us in the midst of our busy lives. And the fourth commandment is is good news for the people of God. That's what I want us to get this morning. This morning as we look at the book together, may we see God and hear God and respond in obedience to Him. So would you follow along with me as I read from... God's Word, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is the, the authoritative, inspired Word of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. And as we read these few verses this morning together, we recognize that they are of a reflection of your character. They say something to us about yourself. You are the God who makes yourself known through your word. So may we have ears to hear and eyes to see you. 
may we have hands that, that will respond in obedience to You. And Lord, I pray that You would just give me grace as I, as I preach this morning. And uh, give, give me grace to, to hear as, as we all sit before Your Word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What comes into your mind when you think about the Sabbath? Your answer to this question probably depends a lot on your background and how you grew up. Uh, for some, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is all the things that you can't do on the Sabbath. You, you maybe grew up this way. The Sabbath means no work. So you can't play sports, you can't mow the lawn, you can't go shopping. In your mind, the Sabbath is all about restriction. But I think for most of us, we find ourselves maybe in a different place. We probably don't think about the Sabbath too much. On the one hand, we read in the Old Testament, it seems like this really, really big deal. Like people are getting killed because they're not observing the Sabbath. But on the other hand, we look at our own lives and the lives of those around us, and the Sabbath doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. So we assume that this must be a command that must apply to another people at another time. Still for others here, we might be in a place where we've never thought about this question at all. What is the Sabbath? My hope this morning is to offer us clarity on this commandment so that we might increase our joy in God in this life and for all eternity. And I want to just lay my cards on the table right from the get-go. I heard uh, one, one preacher lay out this helpful framework, I think, for, for approaching this question. Now, there's three ways biblically to respond to this commandment. In the first case, you've got seventh-day Sabbatarianism. So that's someone who recognized this, this command as something for us, Today and it has to do with the seventh day of the week. It's Saturday. So Seventh-day Adventists, that, that's the camp that they would be in. So that's one, one response. Another response would be Lord's Day Sabbatarianism and says, yes, the Sabbath is still for us today, but it's been moved from the seventh day to the eighth day or the first day of the week. So that's Lord's Day Sabbatarianism. The other perspective would be Lord's Day observance. And that's where I would, I would fall. And I think many of us would fall. And it's Lord's Day observance is, is focused more on what we are to do rather than what we're not to do. Um, and it seeks to take into account the full scope of Scripture, which the other ones, I think, do, but I think they fall short. And you'll see that as we go through. There's one verse I want you to bear in mind as we go through this. Uh, Romans 14, verse 5. This is Paul writing. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems, esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observe it, or observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks, gives thanks to God. And Paul's saying that, that you know, some people are going to view all days the same. Some people are going to have one day as higher than another. And uh, he's saying in, in Christ, um, this is not what defines us. Is essentially what he's saying. So as we go through, I think this will become more clear, but I just want to let you know up front, this is where I'm coming from. So as we walk through this commandment and what it means to us today, we're going to, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to ask, what is the Sabbath? We're going to ask, what does the New Testament say about the Sabbath? And then, what's it mean to us? How do we respond? So first, what is the Sabbath? The word Sabbath comes from a root that means to cease, to stop. The Sabbath day is the ceasing day. It's a day to stop, to rest. We've already come across this word just a few chapters earlier in Exodus 16. They're the people of Israel. They've crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness, and they are hungry. And God shows himself to be a provider by giving the people of Israel bread from heaven. And what does he do on, on the sixth day? On the sixth day, he gives them twice as much bread. He tells them to gather twice as much as they need. And this is what the Lord commands. This is what Moses tells them. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And then in Exodus 16, verse 27, he says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? This is before God's given the Ten Commandments. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, we can't read the Ten Commandments or any part of Scripture, for that matter, without remembering its context. And for the people of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt, all they have known for 400 years is unceasing work. Work without rest. But God has other plans for His people. God has better plans for His people. God is not like the harsh slave masters of Egypt. God is a gracious, merciful master. Even before He writes the law on stone tablets, God gives His people a Sabbath, a day of ceasing from their labor, a day of rest. But this command doesn't just go back to a few weeks before Mount Sinai. As our text today tells us, it's, it's baked into creation itself. The Sabbath points back to a rhythm established by God when He spoke the universe into existence. Now, have you ever wondered why weeks exist? Why do we, why do we account for time using weeks? Today is Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Today marks the 25th Sunday of the year. This morning is the 1,728th Sunday of my life. Why do we use weeks? We have days because that's how long it takes the earth to rotate. We have months because that's how long it takes for the moon to wax and wane. We have years because that's how long it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun. But weeks, why do we have weeks? It goes back to creation. We have weeks because this is the rhythm that God gave the world. Weeks exist because of Genesis 2-2. There's no other explanation. After six days of God's work in creation, we read in Genesis 2 that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the, the reason that God gives this commandment, gives for this commandment. God is saying, because of how I work and rest as my people, you should do the same. This rhythm, six days of work and one day of rest, will remind you that I am God who has created all things. Now, as we've gone through Exodus, we've been using this phrase, the God who makes himself known. And so as we've walked through the narrative of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt, we're looking for how does God make himself known? And even as we go through these commandments, God is making himself known. That, that purpose has not stopped. And so in this commandment, God continues to make himself known. So what kind of God would give this command? What do we see about God in this command? Well, this command, Sabbath rest, it reminds God's people First, that He is Creator. The Sabbath day also highlights God as Redeemer. Now, this isn't quite as clear in Exodus 20, but when God renews His covenant with His people in Deuteronomy 5, the second time that the Ten Commandments are, are listed, redemption is the basis for the commandment. Deuteronomy 5, it goes through the Ten Commandments, and the Fourth Commandment, it really begins identically to the one in Exodus 20. The content is all the same. Until Moses tells the people, that you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Not only is the Sabbath given to help Israel remember that God is a creating God, 
But it also points to God's redemptive work. All the people of Israel knew in Egypt was labor. God is saying that I have redeemed my people so they might have rest. Sabbath rest, it reminds God's people that He is Redeemer. Reminds them that, them that He is Creator, that He is Redeemer. So God knows that His people need this reminder. This is the only command that starts out, remember. Remember. Because we're prone to forget. So He tells God's people, remember. Remember that I'm Creator. Every week. Remember that I have redeemed you from Egypt. Every week. Now just like every other commandment that God gives... The fourth commandment, it's God's revelation to His people. It's telling them who He is. He is Creator and Redeemer. Now notice a couple more things about God. A couple more things we see about God in this commandment. First, God rests. God doesn't rest because He is tired. He's not recovering from exhaustion. God rests because He's finished. God rests because the work that He begins, He always completes. And what a comfort that is to us. More than that, God isn't resting to do nothing. God isn't resting uh, just for resting's sake. No, God's rest is, is positive. God's rest is about appreciation and satisfaction in His work. God rests in order to enjoy what He has made. And God delights in what He has made. This is what it means for God to rest. Notice also that rest comes because work has been done. God's rest implies that He's worked six days. The fourth commandment's not just about rest, it's also about work. I think this is something we often miss. God is a working God, so His people are to be a working people. Exodus 20 verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. This is part of God's command to His people. This is what it means for God's people to live as His people. God is commanding His people to work, to be a productive people, to not be lazy and idle. Now this is a theme that runs all throughout Scripture. It doesn't stop when the Old Testament ends. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10-12, through 12, he says this, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we, not, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to own, earn their own living. God's people are to be a working people. Six days you shall labor. But it is not the people's work that's to define them. Again, think about the Israelite slaves as they toiled in their bondage. It was their work, how many bricks they made, that made them valuable. That was their, their worth in Egypt was wrapped up in how productive they were. As slaves, their value came from what they produced. But in this command, God is saying that no longer are you known by what you do but you'll be known by who you are because you are my people because I am the one who sanctifies I am the one who makes holy now as you read the Old Testament you see this commandment and this theme come up again and again the Sabbath matters because it's a sign of who people belong to the most often cited commandment in scripture of these ten commandments is this one it comes up eleven times in the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible, and over a hundred times in the rest of the Old Testament. Even Moses' time on Mount Sinai here ends with God reminding him of the Sabbath. If you flip over a couple pages in Exodus 31, God restates this command. This is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, the last thing that God is telling him before he comes before the people. He says this in verse 13, You were to speak to the people of Israel and say, 
Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And as if we didn't get it the first time, God says it again. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. And we see here that observing the Sabbath is a sign for Israel that they are God's covenant people. It's a sign of His covenant. So important is this command that it is evidence of the covenant that God makes with His people. So in observing this day, God's people, they're being marked off as separate from the world around them. They're the only ones that have a a law like this. They're to be separate from the world around them, a people wholly devoted to God. Now this command, observing the Sabbath day, it functions as a memorial for God's people as they remember His nature as Creator and as Redeemer. The Sabbath served as a constant reminder to the people of Israel that they had been brought out from bondage in, Israel, in Egypt into rest under God. It was this weekly memorial of God's covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. One scholar writes this, A.T. Lincoln, he says, "...the command not to work on one day out of seven taught a nation of slaves that they had been liberated and that in entering into covenant relationship with Yahweh, they were free men and women who could rest in their deliverer. The command not to work on one day out of seven taught a nation of slaves that they had been liberated that in entering into covenant relationship with Yahweh, they were free men and women who could rest in their deliverer. God is a creating and a redeeming God. One who delivers His people into rest, the rest of the promised land for Israel. Now there's one more aspect of the Sabbath command that I need to unpack for us before I move on into what this has to do with us. We see it in Exodus 20 verse 10. This is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a day to be kept holy for God. Recognizing and remembering this day for the people of Israel put on display God's lordship over them. They were not delivered out of Egypt for freedom's sake. They were delivered out of Egypt for the purpose of worship. They have a new master, a new Lord. So by stopping their work for this 24-hour period, the people of Israel, they're demonstrating their complete dependence on God. Because of who He is, because of what He's done, they worship Him. They're dependent on Him. This is really what all of the commandments are about that God gives. Larry said it last week. He said it's about worshiping the right God in the right way. That's what God is concerned about here as He gives them the law. This is how you are going to be seen as God's people. Now, not only does this commandment remind Israel that God is creator and redeemer, it also teaches that His people are in subjection to Him. They're dependent on Him. This commandment stresses to the people of God that they are to be entirely dependent on Him as His people. This is really the primary focus of this commandment. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. At one point, God takes time to emphasize that even in your busy season, even in the time of harvest, this is a time that you rest. Because I am the one who provides for you. 
Now, before we get to what this has to do with us, how we're to understand the Sabbath command today, we have to go where all interpretation of the Old Testament should go first, and that's the New Testament. So our next question is this. How does the New Testament talk about the Sabbath? Now, given the prominent place that the Sabbath has in the Old Testament lives of the people of Israel, we would expect it to garner a lot of attention, right? I mean, it's over a hundred times it comes up. And again and again, the prophets in particular, they use it to speak of, breaking the Sabbath, to speak of the unfaithfulness of God's people. But when we come to the New Testament, there's not a lot of attention given to the Sabbath. The one place where the Sabbath is discussed with some specificity is in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel depicts scenes where Jesus is going against the established norms for Sabbath practice. You see, over time... Between the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and the time that Jesus walked the earth, the people of Israel were constantly wrestling with all the regulations and prohibitions that should exist around Sabbath practice. Because the Sabbath was clearly important to God and, and for his people, they wanted to know, like, are we doing this right? And so rule after rule after rule was established regarding what was acceptable and what was not acceptable on the Sabbath. They would seek to determine what could be considered work and what could be considered rest. And this practice didn't stop with the life of Jesus. This practice has gone on even to today. For example, during the days of the pilgrims, we're going to go back about 500 years, there were 39 pages of small print Sabbath laws. This is for the pilgrims in New England. Around this time, an English Puritan in the 17th century, John Owen, he said this, a man can scarcely in six days read over all the duties that are proposed to be observed on the 7th. Like, there's not enough time to read in six days about all the stuff i got to do on the 7th or can't do on the 7th. I read of a more recent example when a man attended a Jewish synagogue, this is very recent, where the rabbi was teaching on the Sabbath. The man asked the rabbi if it was acceptable to load a dishwasher on the eve of the Sabbath. Now the rabbi went on and responded that, you know, as long as one did not systematically load the dishwasher, just kind of threw the dishes in without thinking about it, then it wouldn't be considered work. You're still keeping the Sabbath. Now, while the examples in Jesus' day would have been different, the circumstances would have been different, the spirit of following the law was the same. The Sabbath was all about following these particular regulations rather than resting in God. Jesus comes and adjusts our understanding of the law. For an example of this, let's turn to Matthew 12 together. So you can go ahead and flip over to the New Testament. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12. Here, Jesus is going through grain fields on the Sabbath. He's with his disciples, and they're hungry. And I mean, conveniently enough, they're walking through grain fields. And so, they pick the heads of grain to eat them. And the Pharisees, they see this. The religious leaders, they call Jesus and his disciples out. You're breaking the Sabbath. Jesus responds by going back to the Old Testament and says this in in Matthew 12, verse 3. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting Habakkuk 6.6. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man 
is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus uses David and the Levite priest to demonstrate that the Sabbath command was about service to God, not about following these particular prohibitions. David was the man of God doing God's work, and when he was hungry, he ate the bread that was not lawful for him to eat. The priests in the temple, they are working on the Sabbath. They are not resting. They are profaning the Sabbath, yet they are guiltless. Jesus quotes from Habakkuk, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, I'm not interested in your outward forms of worship, your rituals, your following of these regulations. I'm interested in your hearts. I'm interested in you walking in accordance to my word, showing mercy to others. This is what God requires in our worship. It's about our hearts. Even just this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That that word mercy, it, it sums up the second commandment. You shall love the Lord your God. Second greatest commandment. First greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's what God requires of us in our worship. Jesus uses these examples to also say something about the purpose of the Sabbath. You see what he did there in in verse, what is it? Verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is saying that he's greater than the temple. He is comparing the temple to the Sabbath. Because the, the issue was the Sabbath, and then he's talking about the temple here. So he's comparing the Sabbath and the temple, and he's saying he's greater than the temple. And then he goes on to say, he is Lord of the Sabbath. The command that we read about in Exodus 20, the temple regulations that were given throughout the Mosaic Law, they're all meant to point forward to someone else. They are a mere shadow of what is to come. Jesus himself says earlier in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When Jesus comes, when he walks this earth as a man, he expounds the law. He transforms the law. He gives us a new understanding of the law. Because when Jesus comes, we no longer are looking at a shadow. We're looking at the very image of the invisible God. So here in Matthew 12, we see that obeying the fourth commandment, it's not about following these regulations of the Mosaic Covenant. It's about our hearts and devotion to God. About viewing Christ as Lord of our lives. Paul writes this in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. Don't judge each other about this. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath under the Mosaic Covenant is just a type. A type that is meant to point us forward to Jesus. It points us forward to the ultimate rest that we realize in Christ. See, the Sabbath is a shadow. Jesus is the substance. When God writes into stone this fourth commandment, He is ultimately pointing forward to a greater rest that is to come. Did you notice in the Old Testament command how it talks about it's the Lord who makes this day holy. This is God's doing. He is the one who sanctifies this day. Now for us today, through this commandment, God is calling us to find our rest in Him. He alone is the one who sanctifies. He alone is the one who makes holy. Our hope for salvation is not in our works. Our hope for salvation is not in anything that we do. Our hope for salvation is in the one who sanctifies his people. 
The Sabbath is a reminder to remember Christ's righteousness, which has been bestowed on His children. There's a song that we at times sing that articulates this reality beautifully. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest. He alone can give me rest. John Calvin writes this, We must be wholly at rest that God may work in us. We must yield our will. We must resign our heart. We must give up all our fleshly desires. In short, we must rest from all activities of our own contriving so that having God working in us, we may rest in Him. This Sabbath command, it teaches us a principle of finding our rest in God. And it also points us forward to a greater rest that is to come when we will once and for all find rest from our works. Through the Sabbath command, the Lord is sketching for us, as Calvin says, the, the coming perfection of His Sabbath in the last day. By remembering this command, we're pointed forward to meditate on the rest that is to come. We were singing about this earlier in the song, Jesus, I Come. Out of unrest and arrogant pride. Out of unrest and arrogant pride. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy blessed will to abide, to, to remain. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of myself to dwell in thy love. Out of despair into raptures above. Upward forever on wings like a dove. Jesus, I come to thee. And then it goes to that eternal rest that we were just talking about. Out of the fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus, I come. Into the joy and light of thy home, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold. Ever thy glorious face to behold, Jesus, I come to thee. We see this function, the function of the Sabbath shift with the coming of Jesus. But what about the day? What do we do with the day? We haven't talked about the day. Part of the commandment given to Moses to establish a creation is this rhythm of six and one. It was the seventh day, Saturday, that was to be set apart as the Sabbath. This day represented God's rest at creation, God's deliverance to rest in the promised land. But in the New Testament, there is a change. And we see in places like Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16 that the New Testament people of God, they're gathering on the first day of the week. And this is something that we see continue throughout the, the early church, the first couple centuries of the church. They gather on the first day of the week. The reason is because this is the day of Jesus' resurrection the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, just like Israel recognized the seventh day to remember God's creation and God's redemption from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, the New Testament people of God, they recognize the, the first day of the week or the eighth day to remember God's work of recreation and God's redemption of his people from the bondage of sin and death. Redemption from the bondage of slavery for Israel, redemption from the bondage of sin and death for God's people. So that's why we do Lord's Day, not Saturday. So what do we do with this command? Now I've already touched on various aspects of how we should respond, but I want to sum them up a little bit more clearly here. Now in the first place is our response. Enjoy the gift of weekly rest and recalibration in worship. Enjoy the gift of weekly rest and recalibration in worship. The Sabbath command teaches us a principle 
that we should set aside time on a weekly basis to gather with God's people. And what a tremendous gift this is to us. We must recognize that God's call to us to find rest in Him through weekly worship is for our good, not our bad. For the New Testament people of God, the Lord's Day is about worship and rest. That's what the Lord's Day is about. Not an hour and a half. The Lord's Day is about this. Pastor Ray Ortland writes this. This is a little bit of a longer quote, but I think it's worth reading the whole thing. He says this, If we did set apart one day each week for rejuvenation in God, we would immediately add to every year over seven weeks of vacation. And not for whatever, but for worship, for community, for mercy, for an afternoon nap, for reading and thinking, for lingering around the dinner table with good jokes and tender words and personal prayers. How else can we find quietness of heart in today's crazy world? If anyone has a more biblical and more immediately beneficial place to begin, I'm open. But raising hermeneutical objections to the Sabbath principle doesn't in in itself actually help any of us. I wonder if the very concept of the weekend is biblical. It seems to me that the weekend turns Sunday into a second Saturday. Home Depot may gain, but we lose. It turns Sunday into a day to catch up on what we didn't do Saturday, or a day to ramp up for what's ahead on Monday. It hollows out our whole week because it marginalizes God and church and sermons and all the other vital things that happen in our lives only when we make the vital things also the central things. If we accept the concept of the weekend, we we risk fitting God in rather than centering our week, our every week around him. We risk living soul-exhausted lives and wondering why God isn't more real to us, why we're exhausted and grumpy. Perhaps our primary challenge is that we don't find God restful. We don't find worship of God restful. We're happy to set aside some time to worship God, but often we get, go through these motions in order to get back to what in reality is the world's lesser pleasures. If God truly is perfect, if He indeed is the source of all blessing, the fountain of all good, the one who is goodness itself, and he is, he is all those things, then we can find all we need in him. All other enjoyments in this life are mere shadows of his glory, of his goodness. So God calls us to find our delight in him. And this command, the Sabbath command, it gives us a wonderful start as it presents us with this principle of weekly worship and rest. Our second response is to remember our rest. Remember our rest. Now I imply physical rest. I'm not going to talk about that, but that's a part of this. Physical rest. We need to rest. But much more so, spiritual rest. The most important issue that the Sabbath principle raises for us is that we are to rest in Christ. We are to rest from our labors, from any effort to be saved by our own works. You see, the Sabbath command is not a burden, and it's not about prohibition. It's a gift and a blessing. It's about what we are to do rather than what we are not to do. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, transforms and expands this command to be one that points us to his work of redemption, his resurrection, and the final rest that is to come. I love how the 16th century Heidelberg Catechism, we we read from it last week, it talks about this command. In question and answer 103, it says this, 
What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? This is the answer. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And that especially on the festive day of rest. I love that phrase, the festive day of rest. I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches. To participate in the sacraments. To pray to God publicly. And to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through His Spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. May every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, and let the work of the Lord in me through His Spirit begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Amen. While the fourth commandment doesn't give us a perpetual binding commandment with regulations, it does highlight a principle for us. God's call to us as Christians is always more, not less, than God's call to Israel in the Old Testament. I think that's something we can often lose sight of. God expounds the law. He expands the law. He does not abolish the law. He comes to fulfill the law. In Him, we find rest. In conclusion, I want to highlight this word, remember. As I mentioned, this is the only commandment that God gives in the Decalogue that begins with this call to remember. We are called to remember because we are prone to forget. The world around us, the busyness of our lives, they make us forgetful of God, forgetful of what truly matters. The principle of the Sabbath, both in everyday rest and in weekly worship, it recalibrates us. It reorients us to reality. And we need this. We need this in our lives. Puritan Thomas Watson, he writes this. He says, When the falling dust of the world has clogged the wheels of our affections, that they can scarce move towards God. The Sabbath comes and oils the wheels of our affections, and they move swiftly on. God has appointed the Sabbath for this end. Brothers and sisters, may we find joy and peace as we rest in God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you for the rest that you have given us in Jesus Christ. For he is our righteousness. He is the only path to our salvation, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. Thank you for giving us this command in Exodus 20 that is a shadow of the one who came, the one who conquered the fear of death, the dread of the tomb. May we rest in him and him alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.